his father, Clarence Bilbrew. Keep him in your prayers, please. Now let us pray. O oh God, receive the, and bless these gifts and our lives. O oh God, which we offer in response to your steadfast love. As your son Jesus transformed people's lives, so may, these li may the lives of others be transformed through these gifts, through our love and through our witness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Anybody love that name? Anybody love calling that name? Oh, how I love the name. Jesus. Sweetest name. I know. There is a name. I love to hear. It is the sweetest name I know. Amen. Amen. I'm looking at this sea of pink out here, and I, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We ask you to dress out in pink on this morning to observe this month. But if there are any breast cancer survivors in the audience, I want you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet and glorify God. Come on, look around, look around. Look at here, look at here, look at there, look at there. All the way in the back. God bless you. Look at there. God bless you. God is good. Come on, celebrate God, y'all. Come on, celebrate God. Celebrate God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. He's still a healer. He's still a healer. God is still in the healing business. Amen. Amen. You inspire us. You encourage us. And please know that we will continue to pray for you. Amen. <laughs> when others say no, our God, I, I guess you know my God too. He will say yes. Amen. If you will consider a portion of scripture with me found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 1 beginning with verse number 11. Isaiah number 1 beginning with verse number 11. There these words are recorded. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the bull of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations, incense is an abomination unto me, the new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I weary to bear them. When ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to talk from the subject, pleasing God with our worship. Pleasing God with our worship. Worship that pleases God. Pleasing God with our worship. When, 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 when you read through the Bible and you begin to study the mode and the mediums and the meaning of worship, you will be left with two conclusions. That worship can either brighten the face of God or turn the stomach of God. Worship can either brighten his countenance or turn his stomach. It can either 
bring him great joy or cause him great displeasure? Which causes us to have to consider what is it to our worship? What does our worship do for God? Now, if your definition of worship could only be based on what you see the church doing as worship, question, what would that definition be? If it's based on what we see the church doing, if you base your definition of what worship is based on what we see the church doing week after week, Sunday after Sunday, what would your definition of worship be? If it's based on what we see him doing, then very likely it includes perhaps the weekly gathering of the body of Christ, the, the inward feeling that results from singing songs of faith like we just felt. Some of you probably felt the goosebumps and the goose pimples on your arms, something about the name Jesus. That feeling that we get from praying and hearing prayers prayed for us, participating in religious acts and ordinances, listening to a sermon, all of which are not wrong, but none of which suggests that, they're all that, that that's all that there is to it. This text points to the fact that everything presented and offered as worship is not pleasing to God. It seems that somewhere along the way, we've made worship much more about us and what we like rather than about God and what he likes. Churches fight and fall out and create whole new worship venues and services because some folk like this style. Some folk like that style. When worship ain't even about you in the first place. It's really not about what you like. Wor worship is not supposed to be pleasing to you. It's, uh, worship is not supposed to be comfortable and convenient for you. It's supposed to bring, bring pleasure to God. Which means that we might need to reorient and, and reconsider what we do and why we do it. And so in this text, we're going to walk through it real quickly. In this text, a few things that we see, first of all, when we walk through this text, God makes, first of all, an inquiry. There is the inquiry. Listen to what God asks. He says, to what purpose? Is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord. I am full of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of the fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? God raises a question about our worship. And, and the first question he raises is, to what purpose? In other words, why are you doing what you're doing? Which, 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 which quickly suggests that God is way more interested in the motive behind your movement. He, he's not just caught up in what you do, but God is looking at why you do what you do. Do, do you have the right motive? Do you have the right heart? Do you have the right mindset? Are you being guided by the right principles and the right uh, uh, perception in your worship? What's causing you to worship? Truth of the matter is some folk come to worship for a lot of reasons. A lot of things motivate folk to come to the church house. Some of us are motivated by a sense of guilt. We get here because mama and guilt tripped us to death. Amen, lights. You, you, you remember how you used to come to church. Mama, mama throw it on you, and you. You ought to come to church. The Lord been good to you, boy. Could have been dead and gone. Y'all ain't talking to me in here. Guilt trip, trip you to come into church. But, but some of us come up to church not out of guilt but out of habit. In other words, we've been coming to church so long, 
We don't know what else to do on Sunday. It's just a habit. It's just, it's just a tradition. It's just what we do. It's what we're supposed to do. We can't get on without Sunday unless we come to church. A lot of different reasons why people come to church. But God raises the question, what's motivating your worship? Is it a pure heart for him? Some of us come to church out of fear. Scared. If I don't worship, God gonna get me. A lot of reasons why that motivate our worship. Reason I give is because I believe if, if I don't give, I'm, a, I'm putting a curse on myself. And it's really the fear not the love that causes the worship. And God asks and raises the question, the why behind your what? Why are you doing what you're doing? Is your worship suspicious to God? When God looks at your worship, does he have to raise an eyebrow? And wonder, now what's this all about? He raises a question and asks, what is the purpose in the multitude of your sacrifices? Are, are you doing it because you love me or because you're scared of me? What is the purpose behind your sacrifices? Are you doing it because, because you want to honor me or are you doing it because you've been guilt-tripped into doing it? What is the purpose behind your sacrifice? Hmm. Questionable worship is nothing new. In fact, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Aaron's sons was, they were charged with questionable worship. Aaron's sons, you read it sometime when you get home, Aaron's sons presented to God in the tabernacle what God called strange fire. And God rejected the strange fire and the ones who presented it. He said, no, I don't want what you're giving me. And I'm not even accepting you who given it to me. Because, watch this, he says, it's a strange fire. And I'm convinced that a lot of these churches, there's some strange fires. Some strange fires being presented as worship that is not authentic in its presentation. Some strange fires that sound like worship, that look like worship, that, that act like worship, but when you really get down to the heart of the matter, it's just a whole lot of self-promotion. Strange fires. Strange fires. The strange fires sometimes you got to be careful of, of who's yet yeah, presenting and leading your worship service because depending on what kind of fire they bring, don't know where they brought that fire from that that fire could have come I wish I had a witness in here you, you, you better watch you better watch you better watch who's leading and taking your people into worship because if they don't have the right heart you can be led into some strange places my dad and my mama told me a long time ago be careful who preach over you Everybody can't preach to you. Everybody can't lead you into worship. You better be careful and look with a discerning eye because there's some strange fires out there. There's the inquiry. The inquiry behind the worship. And then secondly, there is in this passage, the insight. In the middle part of this passage, the text, the reader is given from the Lord some insight regarding his feelings around what is being offered to him, God actually weighs in on our worship. And he lets us know, watch this, what he thinks about it. And, and after every Sunday morning service, you ought to wonder, was God pleased? After spending an hour and a half 
going through worship and praise and all of the religious rites and ordinances associated with worshiping God, when you leave this place, you ought to ask, God, was that acceptable? Did that bring pleasure to your heart? Or was it more about me? Because God will tell you how he feels about your worship. He does so in this text. Verse 13 says, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hate. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes. When you make many prayers, I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. Mm. You're in a bad place when God watches your worship and turns his face. You're in a bad place when God listens to your worship and stops up his ears. That's exactly what he does here. He says, you know what? I can't even do this anymore. I can't even act like what you're doing is pleasing to me. What is it that could cause God to close his ears, turn his face, and pinch his nose? From something that, God, I'm offering it to you. What is it that could God, cause God to close his eyes, turn his face, stop his ears, and pinch his nose? Several things. It's in the text. First thing that would cause God to do all of that is, number one, when we offer worship that is sound without substance. Sound without substance. He calls it vain oblations. In other words, there is some worship that God looks at and says, ain't none of that. It's vain. In other words, it's shallow, it's hollow. There's a whole lot of sound and no substance. Amos takes it a step further when he says, take thou, Amos verse, chapter 5, verse 23, take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of of thy vows. Watch that. He, he says, take away the noise. Good God Almighty. God calls our songs noise. You got to ask yourself, what's going on that you could be singing so good? And God called it noise. Now please understand, he, he didn't call it joyful noise. Because joyful noise he'll accept. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. There's a certain kind of noise that the Lord says that's pleasing. And, and I'm convinced that, 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 that all worship don't have to be on key, don't have to be on pitch as long as your heart is right. He'll say, listen, it might not be on key, but it's a joyful noise and I can accept that. But there's some music that's on key in time and everything is right about it, but it's just noise. How could you practice week after week, get all the parts down, have just the right breaks and all the right moves and all the right places and God look at it and say, ain't nothing but a whole lot of I'll tell you what, it says, is sound and no substance. In other words, it sounds good, but there's nothing to back it up. They're singing about stuff 
that they don't live. That they're singing about love. It ain't no love in their hearts. They're singing about, oh, how I love Jesus, but, but they don't love their own neighbors that they see every day. They're singing about forgiveness, but they won't open their mouths and forgive one another. They're, they're singing about the God that they love and adore, but they won't even open their arms and embrace the one sitting right next to them. It's sound with no substance, and God says it's just a whole lot of noise. And if you're going to worship God, you can't make noise and think he don't know the difference. God knows what he's listening to. God knows what's coming out of your mouth first comes out of your heart. And if your heart ain't right, it don't matter the notes that come out of your mouth. If your heart ain't right, it doesn't matter how high you can go. If your heart ain't right, it doesn't matter how low you can go. And if your heart is not right, it's just noise. Sound with no substance. But then the other thing that could turn God's stomach and cause him to stop his ears and close his eyes and pinch his nose is a church without change. A church without change. He says, I'm through with it. The calling of assemblies. He said, you, you come together, but, but that's about it. You come together. The calling of the assemblies, he says, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity. You come together, he says, and you get here and, 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 and you're on time and, and you get to your seat. And if somebody in your seat, you'll push them over to make sure you get in your seat because it ain't right if you ain't in your seat. You, you, you got the head usher's number to make sure don't nobody get in your seat. And you're coming together for the solemn assemblies and even after all of that production of church, there's no change. You're having church, the solemn assembly, but where is the evidence that the church is in you? You've been in church where is the evidence that the church is now in you? Where is the evidence that you've had a meeting with the master? Where is the evidence that you had an encounter with the almighty? Where is the evidence that you had an experience with the El Shaddai? You, you can call an assembly, but if the almighty has not met you in the assembly, you're just having church and no change. And God says that's displeasing. He says, he says, I'll tell you something else that's pleasing to me. It's form without any function. It's in the text. I'm not making it up. Verse 14 says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hated. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. When you spread forth your hands, that's the form, y'all. And a lot of us have mastered the forms of worship. A lot of us know the look of worship. A lot of us know exactly when we need to get into the... Uh, yeah, yeah, we, it, when, when Pat hit that one chord and, and it just feel right and you get that ugly worship face and, and your hands go up and, and just feel like you're going in for real, for real, for real, for real, for real right now. And God says, yeah, it's a form of worship, but it's denying the power of godliness thereof. It's just a form with no function. It looks like worship. It sounds like worship. It acts like worship. But God says it's just the form and no function. How do you know there's no function? Because after you've done all of that, after you've had the form of worship, look like you ought to be able to live it out, the function. After. After we've had all this power in this place, look like we ought to be able to deliver somebody. That's the function. If, if, if all this power is in here, look like some devils ought to be run out of here. 
That's the function. If all this power is in here, look like somebody ought to be set free. If all this power is in here, look like some demons ought to be bound. If all this power is in here, look like some disease ought to be healed. If all of this power is in here, enough with the form, where's the function? God says, I can't do this anymore. Away with it. It wearies me that my church, my people, my body would come week after week after week doing the same old stuff and nothing changes. And God says, I don't want to see. So finally, there is in the text some instructions. God gives us instructions on how to make our worship right with him. He provides clear-cut instructions on what to do so that our worship will be something that brightens his countenance. That our worship will be something that pleases him, that he opens his ears to, and that he delights in. First of all, he says, if you want to please me with your worship, worship must first come from a clean heart. Verse 16, wash you and make you clean. There's no way around it. Worship must come from a clean heart. David writes in Psalm 51, that great psalm which pleads unto the Lord for a clean heart. Create in me, O God, a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. And then he says in verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. In other words, God, before I do any praise songs, before I lift up any worship, Create in me a clean heart. Because if my heart is not clean, it does not matter what my mouth says. If my heart is not clean, it does not matter what I lift up to you. If my heart is not clean, create in me clean heart. For the only way my praise can be pleasing is if it comes from a clean heart. Do I have a witness in here? Secondly, if praise is going to be, if worship is going to be pleasing to God, secondly, it must lead to a clean life. It must come from a clean heart, but it must lead to a clean life. Verse 16, I'm not making it up. Wash you, make you clean. Then it says, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. God says, listen, if your worship is real, you should not leave here the way you came. If your worship is real, if you came here mean, you shouldn't leave here mean. If you drove up here cussing, You shouldn't leave. I wish I had a witness in here. If you came up here angry and, and all kinds of things wrong in your heart, you ought to leave differently than you came. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus looked at the woman who had been caught in adultery and all those men who had rocks in their hands ready to pelt her and stone her to death. And he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Those men started dropping their stones and leaving them behind. Jesus picked up the woman's head and said, where are your accusers? She said, I don't see any. Jesus said, neither do I accuse you. Watch this. He delivered her from the penalty of her sin. But watch this. Then he charged her, saying, go and sin no more. 
In other words, quit doing the stuff that got you in this situation in the first place. Wish I had a witness in here. God, God says if your worship is going to be pleasing, you can't keep doing the same old stuff week after week. Coming in here, Lord, forgive me. Going out doing the same thing. Coming back, Lord, forgive me. Going out doing the same thing. Coming back, Lord, forgive me. Going back doing the same thing. Coming back, Lord, really forgive me. Go and sin. some point your worship must lead to a clean life clean hands clean heart clean living it must it must come from a clean heart it must lead to a clean life but then lastly it must produce a clean community i know you weren't expecting that it must produce a clean community. I'm not making it up, y'all. It's in the text. If worship is for real and pleases God, watch this. It can't be left in the church. If, if, if it's going to be real and pleasing to God, God says what you do in the church has got to translate to some action outside of the church if your worship is going to please God he says listen it's good to get up and shout and run all around the building and, and be delivered and feel the power of the Holy Ghost he said but after you've done all of that on Monday morning you need to engage in some actions that lead to a saved community now watch it. It's in the text. I told you. Look, it says in verse 17, it says, learn to do well. After you wash your hands, after you clean yourself, he says, now learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. God says, in effect, worship that wearies him is worship that does nothing for the community around you. If you can come and worship and not be phased by the community in which you worship, God said there's something wrong with your worship. If you can work, if you can come here week after week and leave week after week and be good, because I don't have to see them for another seven days. God says, something wrong with that. He says, no, if your worship is real, it must engage in justice work. Your worship ought to empower how you relate to those around you. Your worship ought to empower you to be an advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves. Your worship ought to empower you to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. Do well. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Fight for the fatherless. Plead for the widow. God says if your worship has any substance to it, it will lead you to be engaged and actively involved in your community around you. It ought to produce something right in your society. It ought to change what's wrong in the world. It ought to transform what's unjust in your community. No need of you worshiping if you leave and don't do anything in your community. If you get your praise on but people across the street are still hungry. God says that's just y'all just y'all coming to K Chapel making noise. If you could come here and male boys still don't have a mentor. God says, y'all just making noise. If, if, if you could come here week after week and, and people are still living in poverty. Oh, it's getting quiet now. Y'all ain't making no noise. God says, yeah, our churches are busy 
presenting to God that which pleases us rather than that which pleases him. And God says, fix it. Turn it around. Give me what I want rather than what you want me to have. Let's be pleasing to God in our worship. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you're a God who doesn't mind getting real with us, telling us how you feel about what we give to you and how we give it. And so, God, right now, we want to offer some confessions. Right now, we ask for forgiveness. Places where we've been too centered on ourselves and centered about how we feel rather than how you feel. Forgive us, God, that our worship will be transformed not just to feelings, but to realities. So that when we sing, oh, how I love Jesus, that it will be real. When we sing, how sweet is the name of Jesus, it will be real. Oh, God, we offer to you ourselves. Create in us clean hearts. Renew within us right spirits. That we would have the right motive and motivation, the right mindset, the right mode and methodologies that will cause you to be pleased with our worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that worship begins with the sacrifice of self. Giving ourselves, giving our agendas, giving our ambitions over to you, God, right now. I pray for someone who needs to make that commitment this morning. The commitment of sacrifice, saying, Lord, here am I. I've been trying to worship you, but God, what's been getting in the way of, in the way of my worship is the fact that I've never given you myself. And so, Lord, right now, today, I want to start by doing it right. By giving you my heart, giving you myself. I've been trying to sing praises, but I haven't given you my heart. If you're here this morning, the doors of the church are open. This is commitment time. Time when you can say yes to the Lord, yes to his will, yes to his way, and saying, yes, God, I want to be your child. I need you to be my father. And I need Jesus to be my savior. If you're here this morning, this is the moment of commitment when you can say, yes, I'm committing my life to Christ. Or yes, I'm committing myself to this church. I want to be a member. I want to be a brother and sister in Christ where I can live out my faith. Wherever you are, whoever you are, begin your worship right now by giving God yourself. The doors of the church are open. Here's my worship. Take joy in it. Make it your dwelling place. I want to put a smile on your face. I present my heart to you. I present my life to you. Here's my worship. Take joy. Take joy in it. Make it your dwelling place. I want to put a smile on your face. I present my my life to you, Jesus. I present my heart to you. Here's my worship. Take, take joy in it. Mm. Make 
make it your dwelling place. I want, I want to put a smile on your face. I present my life to you. I present my heart to you. So here's my worship smile, Jesus. Here's my life, Lord, smile. Here's my worship smile. Here's my life, Lord, smile. Here's my worship smile. Here's my life, Lord, smile. Yes, Lord, here's my worship smile. Here's my life, Lord, smile. Here's my worship. Take joy in it. Make it your dwelling place. I want to put a smile on your face. I present my, my heart to you. I present my life to you. Sing that all together. Here's, here's my worship. Take joy in it. Take joy in it. Make it your dwelling place. Make it your dwelling place. I want to put a smile. I want to put a smile on your face. I present, I present my, my life. My life to you. I present my heart. I present my, my heart. heart to you. One more time. Here's my worship. Here's my worship. Take joy. Take joy in it. Make it your dwelling place. I want to put a smile. I want to put a smile on your face. I present my, my life. life to you. Oh, I present. I present my, my heart to you. Sister Shaw comes with the statement. First of all, I want to say good morning, church. Okay. My name's here, Miss Dawson. She was a member of this church. And she was a member of this church until she died. But on Wednesday, her daughter had, was diagnosed with breast cancer, stage four. So I should keep her in your prayers. Her name is Mamie Johnson. She was bringing her mom to this church. So just keep and up with your prayers. He's also coming for prayer. Someone asked Reverend Harris if he would administer this prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, we come, we praise your holy name. We praise your Lord, one, because we know that you have all power, Heavenly Father, God. Lord, we come before you right now. We lift up this sister, O Lord, to you, O Lord. We ask, O Lord, that you just bless her life, bless her health, O Lord. Look upon a family, O Heavenly Father God, and bless them. And the one that's sick, O Heavenly Father God, we know, O Lord, that you're able to do anything but fail. We just ask, O Lord, that you just put your hand on her right now, Lord. Heal her body, O Heavenly Father God. And Lord, we ask, Lord, to continue to walk with them in your son Jesus' name. We ask it and pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
Bible tells us that he sat in an upper room with his disciples. And it was a time when they first entered into prayer. And this is our time to, as he asked his disciples to examine who would betray him. And we will pray right now that if there's anything in our hearts or in our minds that would keep us from sharing in this sacred moment, that we ask for forgiveness. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you right now very, very sorry for our personal sins. We know that every day we get up and we try and we move toward what you have called should be our perfection. As we examine ourselves right now, Lord, we're saying to you, help us. As we move toward the church that you would have us to be, not in form and fashion, but ever so mindful that our actual lives must be in serving the least, the left out, and those who without your servants will not be made whole. God, right now we will take of this bread and this wine, remembering that you gave the ultimate sacrifice. You gave your life for us. Not only did you give your life, you rose again, letting us know that there is power beyond the grave. Now, Lord, look upon us right now as we remember you in the way that you told us we should. Amen. Let us break bread together. Let us break bread. may be someone here who cannot tolerate redder, uh, usual crackers. We have a gluten-free crackers. Please raise your hand and we will serve you. Let us praise God together. Ah. Uh -huh. 
everyone been served we now break bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus may we all eat together this is the wine that symbolizes the blood of Jesus May we all drink together. And when they had finished communing together, they sang a song and went out.
unto him that is able to keep us from falling. Let us now give God all the glory as we have come here to worship him. Let us depart to serve. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 